Welcome back into a special edition of the Rattle Podcast. As always, my name is Jesse Friedman, and today we are joined by a longtime friend of the show. His name is Mike Farron. He serves as the uh, secondary play-by-play announcer and radio pre- and post-game show host for the Diamondbacks. He is also a host for MLB Network on Sirius XM Radio. Uh, Mike, thanks for spending some time with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, Jesse. It's good to talk to you. Mike, I, I have to start out by asking. I'm, I'm sure you know a lot of broadcasters around the game of baseball are, are maybe struggling with this, and, and I know you have the MLB <laughs> Network radio gig uh, to, to maybe keep you fresh a little bit. But, but as a broadcaster, as a play-by-play voice, do you have to you know maybe broadcast the dogs playing with their toys or something just to kind of stay fresh in a time like this? Yeah, I mean, I think fortunately the uh, the radio show helps with that to some degree. So I'm, I've been up to date on the news, but. Uh, no, outside of although I think it's it's coming out later this week, the the Arizona Animal Welfare League did ask me to do some play by play of of a couple of dogs of puppies <laughs> eating, which was fun. Um, I don't know that I necessarily needed it to stay sharp because it felt more like horse racing or wrestling than it did uh, baseball, but it was certainly fun to do. So no, I don't know that it's necessarily reps, but it, it's you know we're we're just all anxious for well one I think we're all anxious for this virus to be under control and then beyond that as baseball fans and i'm assuming if, if everybody involved in this podcast whether as a listener or as a host is a baseball fan then we're anxious for some form of baseball to come back because it's mm. um you know we're it's so much a part of our daily lives for six months that you're right it, it's weird not having it right now i'm curious your thoughts mike on on the three different plans it's now three plans that have been leaked from major league mm-hmm. baseball we had uh, the Arizona plan that came out first, which would literally have all 30 teams sequestered here in the desert uh, using Chase Field, as well as all the spring training facilities that are here in Arizona. Uh, then a few days later, we heard about a plan that included Florida in, in kind of a similar looking plan, but would just split the teams between Arizona and Florida with some very uh, weird ramifications for what the divisions and just kind of the format of the league would look like, since you could no longer really uh, have the league split uh, down the line of, of National League versus American League. That would be very interesting to see how that would pan out. Uh, and then the most recent uh, development is is a plan that, that was similar, but just threw in the state of Texas and kind of had teams split between these three states. Do you see any of these plans as particularly more or less favorable than the others? I don't, well, one, I don't think that the, any of them are plans. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. And Major League Baseball has been pretty clear about that, that they, that they are ideas at this point. And right. I think we're still, you know, my guess is that based on the way this new cycle has worked, next Monday we're going to hear another idea on how uh, games could be played and maybe the Monday after that. And then maybe the Monday after that we'll we'll get a sixth one and finally we'll start uh, figuring out which ones make the most sense. I mean, I think that that's probably the way that it's going to continue to happen. Um, because I, I think that they're, and, and I think Craig Calcaterra at NBC Sports pointed this out a couple weeks ago. Like right now, everybody in Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association's job is trying to figure out how to best go about putting on a season if they can safely have one. And so there are going to be a lot of ideas that get thrown onto the board that they're going to discuss. 
So I, I wouldn't put too much stock in any single plan or idea. I realize, and, and listen, as a talk show host, I'm as hungry for news and speculation on what could happen with the season as anybody is. Um, but, but I think that there's, I think there's, you know, there are limits to any of these things and they have to be couched as potential ideas. I mean, there's advantages to all of them. There's the advantage of, of doing everything in Arizona is that everything is controlled in one environment. And so you don't really have to worry as much about the outside world. The advantage to being in Florida and in Arizona would be every team could use their own spring training facilities as their home base. That would be huge. The advantage to the the three-state plan is um, there are a couple of, I think, big advantages that one, it's, you know, since we are unlikely to be starting this season with fans in the stands um, or, or maybe even playing the entire season without fans in the stands, it creates you know, better models for television across time zones. And, you know, if you think about it, if you're, if you're, you know, spreading out what would be, you know, I don't know, between three and 5,000 people between three different areas, as opposed to just one, um, then if there were to be a worst case scenario happen where there would be an outbreak of, uh, of COVID-19 among that group, it would probably put less of a strain on, uh, on, the the resources in those municipalities versus what you would have if everybody was just in one spot. So mm-hmm. I think all of those things are possible. But I mean, again, like we're still at least I mean, May 10th is a date that I've had circled for a long time because that's when the CDC's restrictions for um, groups of people greater than 10 is scheduled to be lifted. Now, it doesn't mean it will be then, but that's what they had said eight weeks, and that'll be eight weeks and May 10th. So I think that's a, a good barometer to start looking at some of these. And the other is going to be the, the availability of testing, because um, like if you look at the situation in the Korean baseball organization, which is getting ready to play, they're insisting that players be tested twice a day. Right now, wow. we don't have that kind of capability for the general public. And until we get capability for more testing for the general public, I don't see it being likely that baseball is going to be back. However, these things are changing rapidly. And in two weeks or three weeks, I think we're going to have a lot better idea of and hopefully a better uh, a better um, uh, plan for testing for anybody who wants it or needs to get it than what we have right now. Now, that's wishful thinking, maybe to some degree, but. I do think in the way we've seen all of this evolve over the last six weeks, it's it's very easy to say that in the next two to three to four weeks, we'll see more evolution in that process. One thing that sticks out to me about these three different uh, plans, or I guess ideas is, is probably the better word to use. Um, they all involve Arizona. All of them would have mm-hmm. at least 10, maybe 15, maybe 30 teams in Arizona all at the same time. And Mike, as as you and I both well know, as as people who live here in the valley, it is 98 degrees today <laughs> on April 23rd. It's supposed to be 105 uh, this weekend. Do, do you think Major League Baseball players? Obviously, the journey to become a Major League Baseball player is long and hard, and probably takes has taken all of these players through some pretty undesirable playing locations. But do you think Major League Baseball is prepared? For, you know, going out there and playing when it's literally 110 or maybe even 115 degrees in the summertime. I I mean, they're not going to play outside when it's 115 degrees. I mean, that's the thing is that they'll play at night if they have to play outside. Um, you know, we already have the Arizona Summer League as, as that goes through that for years. We had a PCL team in Phoenix, and and, and we had one in Tucson too. 
that played their their games at night during the summer. So is it hot? Yeah, but I mean, it's <laughs> going to be after the sun goes down. And I think, um, you know, we're, we should all be used to playing in hot weather over the course of the summer. I mean, hell, when I was a kid, I played uh, baseball when it was 110 degrees with 900 percent humidity. That's what that happens. You get old <laughs> as everything starts getting getting up there. But so I don't I don't necessarily know that that's you know, that, that that's going to be the biggest deterrent. I think that there are like one of the major deterrents to the Arizona only plan would be, um, you know, more with having to be with television from the East coast, I think. And you do have a, a domed facility here uh, that you could play multiple games in a day, theoretically. And I think that that's part of what um, certainly has been in the discussions, but again, like none of these are set in stone. All of them are still just ideas. And, at some point, they're going to decide on one that makes the most sense. It seems like when baseball does come back, hopefully, if and when baseball comes back, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that, as you alluded to earlier, there's probably not going to be fans in the stands. Uh, and, and I think baseball is, is not used to this. Obviously, we got a little bit of a glimpse of that with the Baltimore incident that happened. Um, but Mike, I'm curious as a broadcaster, as someone who may be tasked with, with calling some of these games with empty stands, what, mm-hmm. like, how does that change your job and, and kind of what you have to bring to the table as a broadcaster? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's the same as any performance where you don't have a full house, right? I mean, you're able to draw energy from big groups of people much more than you are from smaller groups. And so you have to create more of that on your own, but you have to remember that your audience isn't just the people that are in the stands. It's the people that, and especially for a broadcaster, um, you know, it's the fans that are at home that, that are, that are really matter. So you have to find ways to be able to, to, you know, be mentally focused to do that. And I think that's going to fall on the players too. And I think you've already heard a lot, a number of players, talk about the the you know while playing without fans you know it's not the same energy it's not not any of that but like these guys are really competitive and in the end i think you know as much as it may seem weird they have performed under those circumstances before and most of us have broadcast games where there are uh no fans in the minor leagues or in in you know (laughs) where broadcast games in miami um so like there's like there, there are ways to survive it so i mean i don't think it's like on the list of things that would be um, concerns for me over this, that especially as a broadcaster um, or what the broadcast environment is like with or without fans, I would put that way down on the list of things that I would even be worried about. It, it would fall into the Jay Cutler don't care category. Like I, I just don't, doesn't matter to me um, nearly that much because you know, the, the games are, are, if we are playing games in empty stadiums, it's for fans to be able to have something at home so right. that they can enjoy it. And so like, we'll just do the best that we can to keep the energy and the excitement level high, because if we don't, then we're not professionals. Well, speaking of playing games with no fans, I know any broadcaster uh, has a, has a long and hard road typically to find themselves broadcasting in major league baseball. Uh, and I know for you, um, this has been uh, quite a, quite a journey to get to where you are. Uh, today and so I want to jump in to uh, to just your story as a broadcaster and 
and how you got to where you are today. Uh, I see just looking at your resume, you you called some hockey for a few years. You were in <laughs> high school, basketball and baseball. Uh, so certainly you've you've had to do a, a variety of sports uh, to get where you are today. And, and that just kind of seems to be the way it goes for in the broadcasting industry. You have to be flexible. You have to be willing to kind of take whatever jobs come your way. Uh, Mike, can you just give us kind of a kind of a 10,000 foot view of of how you went from, you know, being a kid and 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 uh, how that eventually took you to being a, a broadcaster with the Diamondbacks today? Well, I mean, I, I got my start in radio when I was I was working in Dubuque, Iowa, which is where I went to school. And, and I started actually as a classic rock disc jockey. I mean, that was my first job. <laughs> so I, I didn't even start in sports, even though I knew that that was what what I wanted to do long term. So. Um, you know, and, and I've had other jobs where I was a music director at a country station in Indiana and, uh, was the production director there too. And, and, you know, and just found opportunities along the way, um, at those spots to do play by play. My first play by play gig, as you mentioned, was with the, the United States hockey league calling games for the Dubuque fighting saints. And I was only doing home games and this was 1998, 1999, and these were some of the very first streaming webcasts I think that anybody had mm. were in the USHL. So I was not doing the road games, which we were carrying on the radio. I was just doing streams of the home game. So this is a crazy, like early days of, of streaming technology, right, that we were doing these. But, um, yeah, I did – when I moved to Indiana, I was also doing high school sports. I got to call uh, the state championship for LaPorte High School, which – um, through 2000 was like the state power in Indiana for, for baseball. Everybody there focuses on basketball and high school basketball in Indiana is really cool. Uh, but that was, that was that. And, and that was really unique there. And so that was kind of my first experience really calling baseball play by play was doing that. And then, um, I didn't do play by play regularly again for almost 10 years until, you know, I moved back to Chicago and, I uh, worked at WGN as a producer and reporter for a number of years and really didn't have many play-by-play -play opportunities there. And then finally got um, a, a chance to do some high school stuff when I'd moved to D.C. to work for Sirius XM. And that's how I started doing some high school football, basketball, and baseball for uh, for a streaming service again, um, one that, that was a little bit more robust and covered the high school area. And um, that kind of got me back onto, onto the play-by-play -play path. But it was a, a lot of, uh, of fits and starts, and mine is probably not as um, as traditional a path as most play-by-play -play announcers have followed because I've spent a lot more time in the studio, um, whether it be as a host or a producer or a, a disc jockey, than I have been as a play-by-play -play guy. I'm curious, were there any were there any moments along the way in that journey where – uh, you, it was easy to get discouraged or it was easy to kind of lose vision of the dream a little bit for you? Or was it kind of a, you know, I'm I'm excited and okay with where I'm at right now. And if this is, you know, where I wound up and stayed for years and years, that would be okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I knew what I always wanted to do. Um, and so I was hopeful that I would get those opportunities. I mean, I think that there are, the I, I have found that the moment that you become okay with living in the moment, right? Like not focused entirely on the future, not, not to say that you're settling for what you have, but that you're focused on your current job. That's when the other things seem to happen 
to you. At least that's been my experience. And so hmm. for me, it was, I don't know that I ever got discouraged or anything. I'm a, I'm a radio dork. Like I've been in radio for 20, what, 25 years now. <laughs> and like, I, I, I mean, I love radio. Like I love, I love the medium. I love a lot about it. I loved being a disc jockey. I, I didn't love working in Indiana, but that, that has a lot to do with Indiana. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I, I enjoyed, you know, aspects of producing. I enjoy, you know, digital audio production. And so like, there's a lot of things that I've done that, that I really enjoyed, but I also did them knowing that the skills that I was getting was hopefully going to get me to a point to do what I really wanted to do. So I don't know that I can answer it in the sense of would I have been happy if it had never happened. I mean, I suppose I would have because it was my career and I love what I was doing, mm. but this was always a goal of mine was to be able to get an opportunity to be able to do play by play. And, and I've been fortunate to be able to do that and be around you know, great broadcasters like, like Greg Schulte and Steve Berthium and, and Tom Candiotti, and Bob Brenly in the, in the process. I'm curious, when you were a kid, what what was it about broadcasting that that appealed to you? Was it just a you know, was it just that you were you were a fan of a team and, and enjoyed listening to their broadcasts and thought you know maybe that's what I want to mm-hmm. do someday? Or how did that develop? Well, I was a really crappy baseball player, so I think that that probably <laughs> had a lot to do with it. Was that I loved baseball, but I was a really lousy player, so. I wasn't going to get the opportunity to keep going and I wanted to stay around the game. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm from a family of performers. My mother is a, a classically trained vocalist and, and musician. And her father was a pit musician. And hmm. um, I have a, a brother who's, who was an actor as a child and as a, as a, a videographer and, and filmmaker. And so, you know, I was around performance my entire life and I acted, you know, all the way through college. And so, you know, both professionally and, and in a lot more amateur settings. So, like, I think that the performance aspect of it probably appealed to me as much as anything. So how do you combine things that you really enjoy performing, performing for an audience and then also their baseball, which is the, my greatest professional passion? Last question from me, Mike. Um, I'm curious, kind of shifting gears back to where you are today as a broadcaster. I hear a lot of a lot of criticism around the league of of just how broadcasting in baseball is done. Some people think that some broadcasts are a little bit too archaic, and and uh, maybe some broadcasters aren't quite uh, quite current with the sabermetrics around the game, and and you know they're still making comments that that seem more fitting of baseball about 20 years ago mm-hmm. uh, than fitting of of how people think about the game right now. What's what's one change that maybe you would like to see across uh, Major League Baseball broadcasts around the league? Um, I mean, I think it's tough for me to say because I think it, it probably varies pretty greatly. I mean, I think everybody needs to be true to themselves more than anything. So, I mean, if you're not a statistically inclined or, or, you know, advanced statistically inclined, um, you know, person, then I don't know that you're necessarily going to spend a lot of time investing in, in the time to know that. And I don't know that you necessarily should, because it's going to come across as pretty fake. Yeah. Um, I think one of the issues I have overall with broadcasting is that there are just an awful lot of people across baseball in particular that just don't sound like they enjoy baseball all that much. And I don't know that that necessarily falls solely on play by play announcers, but there's an awful lot of uh, kvetching and moaning about it. And like that, that to me drives me nuts because, um, you know, we're extremely fortunate to have these jobs and you, you can be 
excited about baseball without agreeing with everything that baseball does. I mean, Lord knows that uh, I don't agree with everything that Major League Baseball has done or or every move that a team makes or every move that the Diamondbacks have made, you know, and, <laughs> and I think you can still you can still be critical of those things without losing your passion for it. And I do think that there are uh, a number of ways that broadcasts have either been set up or a number of broadcasters that don't show the passion that you would hope that they would have. Because I do think that passion is contagious. Now, that's not to say that that you know that's the number one reason why a fan would get involved or want to choose baseball over um, over not choosing it. But I do think that it's an issue that a lot of people want to to um, you know really be. I don't think accurately critical of the product itself or the way the game is played. And I, and I think some of that shows a disrespect for the players who are playing it now, personally. I mean, I, I, I'm, I have a great deal of respect for players um, and the way they play the game because I never could, like I never was going to be able to do that. I mean, they have, and I know the amount of hours that they've taken to perfect their craft because I've seen it up close. Like, I I really get irritated by that more than anything. And I, I know I'm not alone in that. I'm not breaking news on that. But I would love to see, um, you know, future opportunities go to people who really have a passion for baseball overall. Mike, thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Anytime, Jesse.